I say a huge number, I'm not entirely sure what the number is. But there's a whole load of us who are away at West Point this weekend. Um, it appears that my Noah and the Flood prophetic message from last week uh, hasn't come to fruition yet, so we're, we're not hoping upon them, but I'm, I'm sure they're having a good time. I managed to log in and watch a little bit online, so I think the last meetings this evening, if you're following Commission or uh, West Point um, Facebook feeds, you can log in, and it's best just to listen, I found. Uh, listening to it online was really, really good. And um, we're uh, a second in the series we're doing here at Older Road called Not Just for Kids, and we're going to be looking at Joseph and the Coat. Last week was Noah and the Floods. This week is... Joseph and the coat. And for many of you, it probably conjures up an image of Jason Donovan or Donny Osmond prancing around in a, a coat of many colors, singing Any Dream Will Do. And, it, and it's kind of a, a story which, again, we put in that category of a, of a children's story. Um, but I want to say this morning that it's not just for kids. It's for us too. And I want to show that there's something we can get out of here and apply to our lives this morning. Do you know, Joseph actually gets quite a lot of airtime in Genesis. He, he's kind of long chapters between 37 and 50 are dedicated to the life of Joseph. In fact, he gets double the number of pages that Abraham does in the book, who births a whole nation. And the question we have to ask ourselves, why does Joseph get so much airtime? Why is, why is he at the forefront? Well, I think the answer is because the story of Joseph is not really about Joseph. It's about his dad, Jacob. And the story is not also about Jacob, who fathered the 12th tribe. It's about his dad, Abraham, who gave the promise to be the father of all nations. It's not really about Abraham. It's about the promise given to Abraham that he will bless the whole nation and then he will then bless the nations in turn. It's about that seed. And ultimately, it boils down to the line which comes forward of Jesus, who 1,800 years later would bless all the nations. That's why when we see at the beginning of Matthew, we see a genealogy of 1,800 years of history going from Abraham through Jacob through Joseph and ultimately into Jesus. And we're going to see that the story here of Joseph is actually about Jesus. And we're going to bring some parallels between them. Because it's such a long story, if we were to dip into the Genesis account, I could start reading now, and I'd probably still be reading at about dinner time this evening. So what we're going to do is we're going to look in the, the summary kind of verses in Psalm 105. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to read from Psalm 105, starting at verse 12. And you'll want to, it's on page 350 in the Bibles in your seat. So we're going to see four things about God's purpose in Joseph's life. Firstly, we're going to see God's purpose in Joseph's betrayal. Secondly, we're going to see God's purpose in Joseph's oppression. Thirdly, we'll see God's purpose in Joseph's rise to power. And finally, we're going to see God's purpose in Israel's poverty. So we're going to read from verse 12. Here we go. When there were a few in number of little account and sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, Touch not my anointed ones, do not do my prophets no harm. When he summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, he sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. Now to understand 
the story of Joseph, we do need to take a little step back into Genesis 12 when God calls Abraham out of Ur of Chaldeans. And that's kind of what we would call modern-day Iraq. And he said this to Abraham. He said, look towards the heavens and the number of stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now, despite this promise to Abraham, when we catch up with Joseph in Genesis, we actually find that Israel is in a very much an embryonic state. It's still the early stages of God's promise coming to fruition. And Joseph is one of 12 brothers born to Jacob, who was a little bit of a romantic. He fell in love with a lady called Rachel, but Rachel's dad was a little bit devious, a little bit crafty, and actually got him to marry his other daughter, Leah, and he was married there for 14 years of hard labor, but eventually he marries Rachel, and they go along a a long, heartbreaking struggle to have children. Eventually, at the end of that process, Joseph is born. And Joseph and his brother Benjamin were the only two children born to Rachel. In fact, Rachel gave birth, uh, died during childbirth to Benjamin and kind of resulted in Joseph being the number one kid. He was, he was Jacob's favorite man. And, and being a favorite, he had all the kind of the privileges of that. And one of the privileges here, which is where the kind of the story gets its kind of children's kind of emphasis is he was given a coat of many colors. And along with some other interesting dreams that Joseph had and decided to share with his brothers about all his brothers bowing down before him, what ended up happening was that Joseph became a little bit hated by his brothers. He wasn't the most liked character. You know, you often get those kids at school who they seem to be good at everything, and deep down, ultimately, you kind of just resent them slightly. And I think Joseph was a, a little bit like that in his brothers. His brothers were like, Gee, he's good at everything. He's got the, the Father's blessing. Everyone likes him, and do you know what? I just hate him. I just hate him. And so they, they plot a plan. The brothers get together, and they say, we're going to kill Joseph. We're going to get together, and we're going to Find a way to get rid of him once and for all so that at least dad can look at me and notice me again. And Reuben kind of tempers this plan down slightly. He says, oh, hold on, hold on. Let's not go, let's not go killing him. We don't need to do that. We just need to fake it. We need to, we need to sell him into slavery and pretend that he was dead. And so they hop, hop, kind of hatch a plan. And eventually what happens is Joseph is sold into slavery, left in a pit and sold for silver to the Egyptians. It's 22 years again before the brothers see Joseph. And in that time, Joseph has a little bit of an up and down existence, a little bit of a a roller coaster ride of events. But one thing we do know, and that Genesis really kind of emphasizes with us, is that God was with him. In Genesis 39, it says, And the Lord was with Joseph. In fact, it says it four times. No matter where Joseph is in his life, God was with him. He was not on his own, and that's, that's a, amazing for Joseph to know, oh, God is with me. It's also a promise for us that the Lord is with us. Do you know, Joseph wasn't the only one who was portrayed for cash. 1,800 years later, Judas, one of Jesus' disciples, had his palms greased to sell another one out when he sold Jesus out, betrayed him to the Romans. Do you know what? They had a very similar kind of pattern. Joseph's brothers believed that by selling 
him into slavery, by getting him off the picture, that they would stop his dreams coming to the fruition. Joseph had dreams of his brothers bowing down to him, and they believed that if we get rid of him, they won't happen. And in a similar way, that the promises over Jesus, they, they believed that by killing him, they could stop the Messiah coming, and they could stop the Messiah doing his thing. But the truth is this, that even God's ultimate victory of Jesus dying and rising again on the cross could not be undone by one man's betrayal. And that's the story of Jesus, that even in his betrayal, he is victorious. During World War II, there was a German pastor, his name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and the, the Nazis had tried to put in a whole series of laws to kind of govern Christianity, kind of a state-imposed Christianity. He didn't, he didn't want this, so he set up his own church movement called the Confessing Church. And Bonhoeffer, in his kind of role, even became involved in a kind of coup to kill Hitler. Um, but he was betrayed by one of his followers on the inside, someone who sold him out. And what ended up happening was he got taken to prison and he was beaten and he was treated badly and he was put in solitary confinement. He was actually given a copy of the Psalms. He had his copy of the Psalms with him, which he was allowed to read each day. And one of the guards took sympathy on him and he managed to pass letters to his church in the outside world. And he, he said this. He said, There is not a grain of reproach or bitterness in me regarding what has happened to you and me. Such things come from God and only him. And I know that you and Crystal are, are at one with me, that before him there is only submission, endurance, patience, and gratitude. Joe Bonhoeffer knew that even in betrayal, God's purposes were at work. And it's the same pattern we see in Joseph, that even betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, that God's purpose were at work. It's the pattern we see in Jesus, that even sold out by Jesus and killed on the cross, his, God's purpose is at work. And it's something that we need to get hold of as well. Now, the reality is that we're not going to be betrayed necessarily for someone trying to sell us into slavery, and we're not going to be betrayed like Jesus was betrayed, but we can often live our Christian lives feeling betrayed. And I think this has a number of different kind of ways of playing down. Maybe it's a promise or a prophecy that someone's had over your life, and you've held on to it for many years, and what's ended up happening is you, you really want to trust God in it, but what's ended up happening is you, you felt a little bit betrayed by that, because it's not come to the front yet. It's not happened. Or maybe it's you're really trusting God for something, and you're, you're leaning into him in faithful prayer, and it's not coming to the front, and you, you really want God to do it, and what's ended up happening is you ended up feeling a little bit betrayed. I can imagine if I was Joseph in his situation, I'd be feeling pretty down on myself at this moment. What we see in Joseph is someone that no matter how betrayed he was, he was still faithful. And for if, we, if we're sitting here this morning we, and our, our feelings towards God is, God, I just, I just can't see your purpose at work. Let's look to Jesus and say, actually, in Jesus, we find someone who was betrayed and yet saw God's purpose at work. The second thing that we learn about Joseph is we see God's purpose even in oppression. Let's read verse 18 and 19. It says this, His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron until what he had said 
came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. Do you know, if I was in Joseph's shoes and I had the best coat, I had the lavish lifestyle, I was the the father's favorite, and then I go from that kind of place of stature and greatness, and instantly I'm sold into slavery, and I'm part of kind of a, a, a whole multitude of slaves, I'd be feeling pretty down on myself. I'd be kind of maybe a little bit depressed. I'd be feeling a little bit hard done by, and that's kind of what I want to to read Joseph doing. Joseph beat himself up for a little bit, and then he pulled himself together. But that's not what we see. We see that Joseph is a faithful, hard worker. And what happens over a period of time is that Joseph starts to become trustworthy. He starts to become valuable, and people start to use him. There would have been thousands and thousands of slaves in what was the most powerful civilization of Egypt at the time, And Joseph, a young man from the wilderness tribe, becomes valuable. And he's even picked to be the leader of an armed guard. And a very powerful man named Potiphar says, you're going to be useful to me. Like I said, uh, Joseph's journey was a little bit of a roller coaster ride. And so he has this kind of rise to power. And then Potiphar's wife comes on and, and gets a little bit... In, in his face and wants some kind of sexual gratification. And he, he runs away from that and she sets him up and eventually he winds up again in prison because if you're a slave, you've got no rights. And if she said you did it, you did it. And that's, that's the way it was. And so Joseph again fi- finds himself in prison and nothing seems to be going his way. You know, right now in Vietnam where Christianity is growing fast, it's thought that about 10% of people go to Bible-believing, life-giving churches. It was recently that 100 pastors were arrested from one of the house church movements there, and naturally we don't know where they're going. We don't know their whereabouts, but it's thought that their lives are in real danger. It's thought that they are in real danger. And so, sorry, I've just lost my place thought they were in real danger. And these Vietnamese prisoners will probably be beaten, maybe poisoned, oppressed. And some Christians will have died in that place for the oppression that they are going through. But the truth about oppression is that God always uses it for the advance of his kingdom. In fact, when we see oppression happening, what we see is that God's kingdom accelerates in his growth. And so through oppression, The church in Vietnam and China and Southeast Asia are growing with an exponential rate because God always uses oppression for his purpose. By special request, Joseph's moved from where he was in prison um, by Potiphar into the king's prison, not just a a commoner's prison, but the king's prison. Um, And that becomes rather useful to Joseph. He meets a a butler and a baker. who were kind of there because they were part of a high-level conspiracy. And they have some dreams, and he starts to interpret these dreams. And they can see that God is on him. And they can see that God is working, even whilst Joseph's in prison. And then then he's forgotten. And a a couple of years later, um, Joseph is still in prison. And Joseph's arrest and imprisonment ultimately isn't about Joseph, 
or Jacob or Abraham. It's about Jesus. And it points to the things that Jesus was going to go through. It says this in the scriptures. It says, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. You know, whilst very few of us will experience the kind of oppression that Joseph will experience. Or experience the kind of oppression that the church in Vietnam or in China or in Southeast Asia will experience. It should lead us to a number of of responses. First thing it should lead us to is for us to understand that we are not just church here in Poole and Bournemouth. We are not just church here, that we are actually part of church across all the nations in all the lands of the world. And so when the church in Vietnam and China and Southeast Asia suffer and are oppressed, we are called to stand with them. We are called to pray with them and to say, God, you are establishing your purpose. And whilst I may not be going through the oppression that they are, I stand with them resolutely in prayer and cry out for my dear brothers and sisters because they are caught up on the same mission that you're doing right here in Paul. And therefore, I stand with them in prayer. And the second thing that we should realize is that when we feel oppressed, and we can feel like that, and it's not the, the measure which is perhaps going on in Vietnam or China. But we can feel oppressed. It should lead us to a response of faithful worship. Because that was Joseph's response. He didn't beat himself up. He didn't put himself down. He just chose to get on doing what he was doing, knowing that God was at work. And so we've seen that God was at work and had purpose in Joseph's betrayal, in Joseph's oppression, but also we see God at work in Joseph's rise to power. So let's read verse 20 to 22. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people set him free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions to bind his princes at his pleasure and to teach his elders, his elders wisdom. It was only when Pharaoh was having some strange and chaotic dreams that one of these cupbearers had a brainwave. Oh, I met a guy in prison. His name was Joseph, and he, he was really good at interpreting dreams. And Joseph is brought up before Pharaoh, and he has this strange dream about cows, thin cows and fat cows. And Joseph says, this is what your dream means. It says, in the next seven years, we're going to experience bountiful harvest. We're going to have everything we could possibly want. But it's going to be followed by seven years of famine. And Pharaoh is impressed by Joseph and says, Joseph, you're clearly a man that God's on. And, I'm going to, and he kind of gives him a promotion instantly. He's in the prison one day, and the next day he's getting promoted up the ranks. And eventually he's prime minister of all of Egypt, the most powerful kind of area in kind of those times. And he's prime minister. And Joseph sets about dutiful service. And so what does Joseph do? He starts these big storehouses, and he starts collecting grain, and he starts preparing for a famine which is yet to come. Do you know, to start saving for something seven years in the future is, is sometimes a difficult thing to do. You kind of want to spend what you have now, but Joseph realizes what's happening and says, we need to prepare. We need to dig our wells here. 
and get ready for a famine which is coming. Do you know, one of the things I love about this story is that even Pharaoh, who was king over his whole nation, recognized God at work in Joseph's life. In Genesis 41, 38, it says, Can we find such a man as this, in whom is the Spirit of God? And that's where Joseph's faithfulness and power comes from. It wasn't the fact that he was just a clever guy and he was good with numbers and he was an administrative genius who could manage all of Egypt with kind of, kind of a flip book and a few kind of scattered orders. No, it was because the Spirit of God was on him. And all of us have a different degree of power and leadership, whether it's for our family, whether it's for our kind of groups of people we work with, whether it's we're retired and we, we're socialized. We all have different measure of power. And what I want us to see is that it wasn't through Joseph's expertise that stuff got done. It was through the Spirit of God at work in him. And I want us to, to challenge ourselves. Now, I'm certainly in this boat as well. I, I'm in a position of influence. I have children who who listen to what I say. I have teams of teachers who, who do what I ask them to do and do the things I want. But how am I allowing the Spirit of God at working me to govern the work I do day by day? Because it's too easy to say, God, I, I'm doing my job because you've gifted me and I'm in, I've got intelligence and I, I know how to teach and I understand how children work and I understand pedagogy. I, I can do my job just by doing my job, but how can I do my job because the Spirit of God is at work in me? And that's something I think we need to, to push into. And so when you go to work on Tuesday morning, we've got Monday off, how is God going to work in you to do your job better, to, to serve him more faithfully, like Joseph served Pharaoh faithfully? Joseph sold into slavery, decided to serve faithfully. Ultimately, Jesus is our perfect example of what it means to walk with God. Luke tells us in Acts 10, verse 38, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing who were all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Now, Romans says that we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on us. And so to live our lives kind of as Christians who don't know the Holy Spirit is to be lacking the kind of power we need to do what God wants us to do. And we want to be a church with a spirit-filled existence. So let's cry out for it. Let's say, God, would you just come right now by your spirit? Would you fill us with it that we would be spirit-filled believers, ones who put our trust wholeheartedly in you, who serve you faithfully, just like Joseph did, just like Jesus did. And so we see Joseph rising to power, and then we see God's purpose at work in poverty. Verse 23 says this, Then Israel came to Egypt. Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham. After seven years of plenty, 
Cambo predicted seven years of famine. And I imagine Egypt being very well prepared was used to visitors coming to it, kind of begging, selling off their different wares and selling kind of, kind of we need food more than we need everything else we get. And what happens is that the very same ten brothers who sold Joseph into slavery come to Egypt. They don't know that Joseph's there. They don't know what Joseph's doing. But they come there knowing that they need some food. They need some sustenance to keep them going. And as they approached, they were minus Benjamin at this time, um, they were given access to the governor of the grain, who was Joseph. And he was in charge of granting the sales of food. And he had to be a, a good steward of the stuff that he had saved. And so the people would come before him and he would kind of solicit whether they could or couldn't sell the amounts. And you know, a lot's changed about Joseph in those 17 or so years. He's speaking Egyptian now and probably talking to his brothers through a, a, an interpreter. And Joseph accuses them of being spies and that one of them must remain with him in prison. He, he sends them back and says, go get your youngest brother, Benjamin, and bring him back to Egypt. But when the other brothers return home, dad, who's now a little bit protective of his uh, youngest son, is not keen to let that happen. And as the drought only increased and the famine only became worse, he decides to go back, laden with gifts, in the hope that Egypt would appease them. And when they return there, they get a surprise invite by Joseph for palace at the dinner, and they're, they're ter- terrified of what might happen. And what do they do? They fulfill the dream that Joseph had so many years before. They fall down at Joseph's feet. They fall down at Joseph's feet. And Joseph realizes exactly what God's done. And he's overcome with emotion. He's stirred to his core. And there's a, this reading from Genesis, what I want us to read, which says what Joseph said. He said, Joseph could not control himself before all those that stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine that has been in the land these two years are there, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt." Why strange dreams? Why a technicolor dream coat? Why his betrayal? Why his imprisonment? Why his arrive, uh, rise to power? Why Potiphar's wife trying to advance in him? Why the king's prison? Why Pharaoh's dreams? Why the famine? So God could ensure that his kingdom was preserved. Abraham was promised to bless a whole nation. And That would only happen if God could work through the situations of the time and through Joseph's life. This is about 
God taking the sin of a, of a bad dad and some de- deceitful brothers and working it for his glory. And at times, it must have looked completely hopeless for Joseph, but Joseph's response was to remain faithful. He says this in Genesis 50. He said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Psalm 105 continues in verse 24. And the Lord made his people very fruitful and made them stronger than their foes. He turned their hearts to hate his people, to deal craftily with his servants. He sent Moses, his servant, and Aaron, whom he had chosen. They performed his signs among them and miracles in the land. You know, we, we know how the story of Israel continues. At this point, they're in Egypt and they are enslaved. But the story goes on that Moses led his people out of slavery and into the wilderness again. And after another generation of waiting, Joshua leads his people into the promised land. And and through the up and down existence of Israel, ultimately it comes to to a story about a man named Jesus who was born into poverty. This is all his story. This is all about him. This is all pointing to him. And in the the delivery suite of full of farmyard animals, a baby boy is born who fulfills all the promises. And it says that the government will be on his shoulders. You know, Jesus was a man who was sold out and betrayed by his believers. Jesus was a man who was oppressed and killed and died on a cross for us so that we could be set free and caught up on his mission. Do you know, this series is called Not Just for Kids, and Ian's done a lot of work preparing a lot of material here, and this is a a brilliant quote from a children's storybook called the Jesus Bible Storybook, and it says this. It says, one day God would send another prince, a young prince whose heart would break. Like Joseph, he would leave his home and his father His brothers would hate him and want him dead. He would be sold for pieces of silver. He would be punished even though he had done nothing wrong. But God would use everything that happened to this young prince, even the bad things, to do something good, to forgive the sins of the world. And that's the story of Joseph. Ultimately, it's about a story of Jesus who came to forgive the sins of the world. And if you're sitting here this morning and you've never responded to that message, you've never said, I'm going to put my trust in Jesus and follow the ways that he puts forward, then there's an opportunity this morning to say, you know what, I see something in this man who died willingly for my sins and I want to choose to trust him. Perhaps you're sitting here this morning and you can relate to some of the things that Joseph has gone through, but perhaps your response has not been Joseph's response, faithful service no matter what. Perhaps you feel betrayed by things in your life. Perhaps you feel oppressed. But I want us to see that no matter what situation, God is working for the good. And God has a purpose. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you for the story of Joseph. I thank you that it's not just a, 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 a nice children's story about a man in a coat, but is about a promise that you are going to build your kingdom 
And we see that in Joseph's preparation of the grain and your preservation of Israel. And we see it in Jesus, who is the kind of the, the fulfillment of the promise of the Messiah to come. And Lord, we want to be a people who, in every situation, see your purpose and see your power at work. So where we are feeling betrayed or oppressed, Lord, we would just trust in you. Lord, that we would put our hope in you and know that you are achieving your purpose and your kingdom will always advance. Lord, we pray for those churches across the nations that we're connected with. Lord, we pray for our other advanced churches who may be experiencing oppression in their different environments. We, we stand with them in prayer and we say, Lord, we are, we are with you on this mission and we want to dedicate our lives to service of you. Lord, I pray for our Monday mornings when we go back to work. Lord, that we would be a people full of your spirit and that it would affect our day-to-day lives. Lord, we wouldn't just do our job because it's our job, but we would do our job because we recognize that you have filled us with spirit and power to do it. And Lord, that it would affect us day by day. And Lord, I pray that we would realize that without you, we are completely impoverished, that we have nothing but because of you, we've been given a great inheritance that we've been counted as sons and daughters in the Father's house. And so we look to your son, Jesus, who the story of Joseph is ultimately about. And we say, Lord, we just want to worship you. We want to rejoice in your son and the victory he achieved on the cross for us. Father, would you just come and move amongst us now by your spirit? Lord, as we sing and respond to you, would you just open our hearts to soften to you? Lord, where we've harbored bitterness and anger about doubts and betrayal, Lord, we would just be softened to you and we would just come into your arms and say, God, I know that you're achieving your purpose and I know that you have a plan and I just submit to it, Lord Jesus. Amen.